You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Uh, That's the first book of the Bible, or you can pull it up on your phone. Just go uh, NIV, uh, Genesis 12. Um, Have you ever had someone you trust make you a promise and not keep it? There's a murmuring, so yes. I know there are people, of course, who have made promises to you in your life and have not kept it, right? Uh, But there are other kinds of people that when they make a promise, they keep it. And when they don't, something goes sideways. You, uh, you know this as parents, uh, or even when you were a kid, a kid's life and their stability is based on the promises their parents make to them and whether or not their parents will come through. It's even in super mundane things like, kid, I will give you ice cream if you eat that one piece of broccoli, that one piece of broccoli, that one, that two pieces of broccoli, you know? So it's two cups of ice cream for one piece of broccoli, and yet it never works. I don't know, at least not in my house. Promise obligation. I promise to take you to practice today as soon as you are ready to go and you clean up your room and you better do your homework. If you don't do your homework, you're not going. Promise, obligation. Or in my childhood, Darren, if you don't practice piano, you are grounded. Darren, if you don't practice piano, you cannot leave. And so there was a promise and there was an obligation and a curse came down if I did not follow through. We're going through the story of the Bible. We started in Genesis 1 and 2, the story of creation. The creation is singing to God. The creation is good. God calls it good. He makes man and woman. He calls them, he calls man very good, calls woman very good. The creation is singing to God. The creation is declaring its goodness to the first two humans. But we know from our experience, things are not good. And there is a thing we call the fall. That's Genesis 3, where We decide in Genesis 3 that we can determine what is good and what is evil, and in our determination of what is good and evil, sin comes into the world, and therefore shame comes into the world. And the way we manage our guilt is to control how people see us. And so we sow fig leaves, because we believe that someone will only love me if I only show them the part of me I want them to see. So we do that to God. We do that to others. And you know, humans, uh, you you read Genesis, it's not very hopeful. So God makes this promise, I'm gonna send you a seed and it's gonna crush this serpent. The serpent's gonna bite the heel. And then the seed is born and there's murder in the next generation. Great job, humans. And then along comes Noah. And God destroys the earth. And then he uh, gives the the promise with the rainbow. He'll never do this again. And you just kind of read Genesis 1 through 11, and it's not really great. And then at the end of Genesis 11, you get this uh, genealogy out of the blue. And dropped into the end of Genesis 11 is this man named Abram. Now, Abram is not some random dude in the Bible. Abram is the anchor by which the rest of the Bible is understood. Now you could say, hey, Darren, isn't that Jesus? You know, when you say what the Bible is about in your high school Bible class and all the high school students, you say, it's about Jesus, Darren, or Mr. Carlson. I say, no, wrong. I did that promise. So Abraham comes on in Genesis 12 and he becomes the anchor from which the rest of the Bible is understood. So we've done Genesis 1 and 2, we've done Genesis 3, now we're skipping a couple hundred, more than a couple hundred years, and we're in Genesis 12, and I'm going to go through this story, which is nine chapters, three different times. First time, I'm just going to give you the story. The second time, I'm going to give you the promises, and the third time, I'm going to give you the good news of Abraham. Okay, the story, Genesis 12 through 21. So Abraham... 
Um, and Abram, same guy. I'll probably use him interchangeably, even though I shouldn't. It's Abram. Here it is, Genesis 12, verse 1. Remember this, God has not spoken since Noah. I always wonder this, like Abram's just like walking along and then the Lord said to Abram, he's like, what, what? I don't know. Genesis 12, verse 1, here it is. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will, whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went just as the Lord had told him. So you have the genealogy. You have Abram, 75 years old. And, you know, if you read the Bible, you've got Noah, and then you've got a couple chapters, and you think, oh, this is like uh, four days. No, no, this is hundreds of years God has not spoken. And God speaks to this one man on earth and says, leave your house, leave your people, leave your family. So this guy comes from an idol-worshiping family. We know this because in Joshua 24, verse 2, we're told his family worshiped other gods. So there's nothing special about Abram. He's not... maybe not necessarily the most faithful person on the earth. He's worshiping other gods with his family. And one day, in an act of sheer grace, God comes to Abram and it says, hey, idol worshiper, through you, everyone's going to be blessed. God asks him to leave. There's no dialogue. There's no discussion. So verse one, Abraham go. Verse four, Abraham went. That's legit obedience. I mean, I don't know what it, I don't even know how it happened that God spoke to Abram. Like, did he appear in a theophany? Did he see God? Did it, was it a dream? I don't know. No one knows. God does not ask Abram's permission to drop all these promises on him. He just comes to Abram and says, I'm doing this. And Abram says, okay. He's commanded by God to... We're okay. We're, he's commanded by God to go without knowing what's going to happen. He, he can't see visually what he is trusting. He's willing to move. I mean, some of you have moved, right? Uh, imagine being in a tight-knit family, communal life. This is kind of like farm life. And you come home and tell dad and mom, we're moving. I mean, my family's from multi-generational farm my uncle got the farm, my dad escaped by joining the military, and my other uncle became a pastor. It was the only way out. You can't leave grandma. She rules the farm with an iron fist. And so here you have God telling Abram in a very close-knit, clan-based society, leave your home. And he did. He, bends. he makes promises, there are four One is amplified and repeated multiple times, but I will make you a great nation. I will uh, give you land. I will make your name great. And then all this blessing language. I will bless you. People will uh, will be blessed if they bless you. I will curse those that don't bless you, on and on. It's essentially the same thing. So Abram goes and things break down. If you just go down to Genesis 12, verse 10, you might know the story. They go to Egypt because there's a famine. 
This might sound familiar to a story later in Genesis. And he gets there. They like Sarai, his wife. And so Abram says, I'm not married to her. You can have her. And then she goes into Pharaoh's home, which seems to indicate she had some sort of intimate relationship with someone in the house. Abram is being showered with gifts. God intervenes. What are you doing? Stop it. He sends plagues on, onto Egypt. They leave. And so here's the lesson. God has promised something to Abram in verse 3. The promises are going to happen despite the actions of Abram. And it seems like uh, Abram is treating God the way everyone else treated God's in that period. Uh, I'll uh, intervene for you, God, to make sure that this happens. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm going to take this into my own hands because if I take it in my own hands, then I'm essentially doing what you need me to do for these things to take place. So that's what he's doing. And what is he doing? Protecting himself at the expense of Sarai by removing protection from her. So you get to Genesis 15. Now this is 10 years after Genesis 12. And we get again, these promises that anchor the rest of scripture for the rest of time. Abram has promised things in Genesis 12. They haven't happened yet. Abram's got some concerns. He's now 85. I don't have kids. Sarah is too old to have kids. So God decides again, I'm going to talk to Abram. He hasn't been talking to him. Genesis 15, now he's talking to him again. Don't be afraid, Abram, verse 1. I am your shield, your very great reward. So God comes to Abram and says, I, I, Don't be afraid. I'm your shield, I'm your reward. And that passage gives Abram permission to question God. Isn't that interesting? So God comes in, I promised you things, I'm the ruler of the universe, I made the stars you may have known. Uh, Abram, don't be afraid. And Abram goes, okay, verse two, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? You, you ever want to talk to God like this? What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so my servant in my household will be my heir. You know, there is a kind of superficiality in Christian circles that does not allow you to ask questions. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you have to be so sure in a church that if you ask questions, well, are you really a quick Christian? Are you allowed to express frustration? It's almost like I, a church will not give you permission to read the Psalms out loud because the Psalms are mostly complaints. The Psalms are mostly giving languages to our lament. Where are you, God? Why haven't you done it? Don't you believe in the promises? And so here you have this situation where Abraham is questioning God of the universe. What should God do? Should God go, Abraham, I'm God. Nope. Verse five, he takes him outside. What the heck does that mean? Sometimes you read verses and you're just like, did he put his arm around Abraham? He said, come with me. I don't know. Abraham, look up at the stars in the sky and count them. If you can, so shall your offspring be. So here comes a guy who is questioning God. He has some questions. And God does not wipe him out. God gives him something visual to say, I'll come through for you, Abram. Look up at the stars. Even later, he gives him another kind of visual sign. He changes his name. 
chapter 17, Abram fell face down and God said to him, this is verse three, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be a father to many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name is now Abraham, which means father of many, because I have made you father of many. Now, in this chapter, no kid's been born yet. At least not the kid of promise. And he is saying in past tense, I've already done this for you. I've already done this for you. Look up at the stars. I'm comforting you. I'm changing your name. So Adam changes Eve's name in Genesis chapter three, not knowing a child is, just being told God's gonna give a child and a child will come. And so she becomes the mother of the living before a child is born. Here, before a child is born, Abraham has his name, oh, Abram has his name changed to Abraham. Why doesn't God just smack him? You know, let's just say you're a home builder. Some of you are. You, you get five-star reviews. Everyone loves you. You always do what you say. And then you get this one customer who always has questions. Ask you, are you coming? Will you come? When will it be done? You're like, I told you. I told you. I told you. You're a teacher in school. You've given out a syllabus that no one reads. And then the students begin, how dare they, questioning you about the things you wrote down. And you're just patient with them and you're answering them. And yes, just read the syllabus. Yes, just read the syllabus. Yes, just read the syllabus. Or you're a parent and your kid, you tell the kid, this is gonna happen, kid. And the kid goes, hey, dad, is it gonna happen? Dad, is it gonna happen? Dad, is it gonna happen? What wells up inside of you when people begin to question the promises you've made? What, what are you doing? You're going, you know, am I going to smack you? Like, what is wrong with you? I, I keep, I mean, I'm in customer service. This is terrible. I want to I kick you. I don't want to work for you anymore. And so here comes Abram to the God of the universe who spoke all of creation into being and is like, how's this going to happen again? Right, can, can this really be true? Are you sure you can do it? And God says, come outside, look up at the stars. I want you to see it. So he invites him into a new reality. So you would think, okay, that's enough. Nope. Worry consumes Abram and, and Sarai. They, uh, Sarai gets, you know, he, she laughs at God. And then she says, okay, Abram, this is what, how, how, how high she thinks of him. Actually, I need you to go be with my servant and have a child with her. I mean, what wife thinks so highly of her husband that he would say yes to that? And he says yes, because she knows he will. And they have a kid, and now God's not happy, and God's comforting the servant. What is all that? Is that doubt? Is that questioning? Is that uh, disobedience? What is, how would you categorize what he's doing? Well, the Apostle Paul writes about him in Romans 4, and he doesn't call it doubt. It's weird. Here it is. Romans 4, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Now, just, I want you to read this and remember what we just said. Against all hope believed and to become the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was 100 and Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver. Paul, have you read Genesis 12? He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. You read that, and you read Genesis 12 through 21, and you go, what are you talking about, Paul? 
I, I think what Paul is doing here, I mean, it's the only way I can explain it. It's not like Paul knows Genesis 12 through 21 much better than your pastor, Darren Carlson. Trust me. I think what Paul is saying is that Abram did not have this kind of underlying, always doubting life. But he did have this moment of relapse, moment of relapse, moment of relapse. It's the only way I can explain it. So the story goes, Genesis 12 through 17, 14 years, God uh, has his promise. And now in Genesis 21, 2100 BC, 91-year-old mother gives birth to the son of a 100-year-old man. That's the story of Genesis 12 through 21. Okay, that's the first swing. Swing number two, the promises. So Abram has promised a couple things. He's promised land. He's promised he will be a nation. He'll promise his name will be great. He promised he'll be a blessing. So in Genesis 12, what did it say? You'll be, a, I'm going to bring you to the land. I'll show you. There's one. You'll be a nation. Your name will be great. I will bless those who bless. And then Genesis 15, he reiterates it again. And then he says, you'll have an heir. You'll have a child. You'll have a seed. And you'll be given land. Now, these are a big deal. Abram's leaving his father's house. He's put his survival, his future on the line. He doesn't really know this God other than God's spoken to him this one time. He's believed God. Now, question, are there obligations? Now, I ask this because this is not Bible study 101 anymore. This is Bible study 500. This is a hard uh, issue in the Bible, and it's the issue of did Abram have to do something for these promises to happen? And I'm going to say yes. Some people say no. Side with me. Genesis 17. It's, it's evenly split, okay? I'm still right. Obligation one, Genesis 17. It's not true. I am God Almighty. Genesis 17. Here's obligation one. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then, so, so that, I will make my covenant between you between me and you, and you will greatly increase in number. Hear that? What's that? That's Genesis 12 and 15. Now he's saying, in order for that to happen, walk blamelessly. Obligation two, Genesis 17, 10. This is my covenant with you and your descendants. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. So God makes obligations, I think. And those obligations determine in a sense, if that covenant is realized and th these promises are realized. Here's another example, Genesis 18. In the middle of the story about Abram and this rebellious city, God says this, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that, see that obligation? The Lord will bring about Abraham what he has promised. So there's some sort of, if you do what you, what I, what you, what you're supposed to do, the promises will happen. Genesis 22, here it is again. By myself, I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, you have not hold, withheld your son, your only son. I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as stars. See, let's repeat, Genesis 12 and 15. I will surely bless you. Why? Because you did not withhold your son. Obligation. So each promise, here they are. I will make you a great name. So in Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, what's the repeated phrase? They are trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to make a name for themselves. And God confuses them with languages so they won't make a name for themselves. That's the point of Genesis 11. And you know, 
You and I like to make name for ourselves. When I coached college basketball, we'd come in at halftime, we'd get the printout of the stats, which were never really correct, but we tried. And so we get them. Where does everyone's eyes go? To the score? To the team stats? No. One line, my stats, how am I doing? And then you look up and go, I'm playing pretty good. You see it? I mean, not me, I was a coach. And then artists get up, making a name for themselves in order to perform. Pastors uh, making little kingdoms for themselves, declaring all authority belongs to them, therefore submit to me. We, we do this in religion. We do this in academics. We do this in family life. We love ourselves and we make a name for themselves. And God says to Abram, I will make your name great. Stop it. Two, there will be a child, a seed. You'll have a family. This, will, this son's name will be Isaac. Isaac will have Jacob, whose re- name will be changed to, there's another name changed, Israel. He'll have 12 children. They'll become the nation of Israel. You'll have a multitude. And by the time they get into Egypt, when Moses comes, three million Jews promised to Abraham. Promise three, land. You know, Abraham never owned land. Isn't that crazy? The only land he owned is the land he bought for his wife to be buried in. That's it. And the land for himself to be buried in. So you may know the story. Moses brings the people out of Egypt. Joshua takes them into the land. They never really get the land. And then they get exiled out of the land. And then all the prophets start writing about what? Land, 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 land. It's the entire question of the Old Testament. If we're not in the land, is God's promise to Abram true? What have we done? Now, I just want to highlight something here that I think will be helpful. I'm dipping my toe into the political uh, arena. When I mean dip, I mean I'm dipping in and I'm coming back out as safely as fast as possible. Uh, But I want to show you where this issue comes from so that when you see this on TV, you can go, Genesis 12 and 15, my pastor told me. There has been a melding of a political view in the Republican Party and Christian religion and Jewish religion that you must support Israel. Have you heard this? Having land because God promised them the land. And if you don't support them, what happens? This country will not be what? Blessed. Some of you have heard this. God promises the land to Abraham. Remember? Moses they're going into the land. What does he say? Honor your father and mother so it may go well with you in the Land, heavy emphasis on land. Again, they get kicked out and this whole exile that's happening, they're outside of the land and they're like, is God true to his promises? Just read the prophets. The entire prophetic message is, we broke covenant, God kicked us out. Are we gonna get back? And you know what? They come back, sort of. And then Rome comes and takes over. And into that comes Jesus Christ. And you know what's so interesting? Jesus doesn't talk about the land at all. He he doesn't want to kick Rome out of the land. It's not an issue for him. And then here comes Paul, the apostle. He would do it, right? He's going to talk about the land. And you know what he says? Honor your father and mother so it may go well with you in all the earth. He changes the Ten Commandments. The apostle Paul. Why? Because something has happened that is different 
where the apostle, where, where the Holy Spirit has come and now the glory of God no longer resides in the land and in the temple in the land, it, resol- it, it resides where? Us. And then that glory goes to all the nations. Now, listen, that doesn't mean you can't hold a political view of supporting Israel, not supporting, what does that even mean? I don't even know anymore. Listen, when you hear it on TV and you hear we have to support Israel because God will not bless our country if we don't, just make sure you've read your New Testament. It's different now. All right, moving on. I'm dipping my toe back out. It's not even election season yet. I don't want any angry anonymous emails. Put your name on that thing if you want to ask questions, okay? I will not respond to anonymous emails. And if you send me a letter without your name on it, I won't even read it. So you know, I'm happy to talk. Okay, number four, blessing to the name. Number four. Oh. Ha, ha, ha. Quick. For you visitors, this is not normal, okay? This, this is way out of control today. Okay. You're a b- promise for you'll be a blessing to the nations. That's not Israel anymore. But here, you know, blessing appears 85 times in Genesis, five times in Genesis 1 through 11. And look how many times it appears just in Genesis 12. Blessing, 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 blessing. And you read the Old Testament story, and that's what it's about. Blessing, 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 blessing. Are, are the, is this nation blessing or cursing God's people? What's going to happen to them? What happens when this uh, nation doesn't bless God's people? Then what happens? And you, you now come into the New Testament, and what is every argument about? Read Romans. Read Galatians. Read the Gospels. What is it about? Abraham, 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 Abraham. All right, those are the promises. Now the gospel. This is the passage we read, Genesis 15. And if you were paying attention, you may have asked yourself, what are we reading? (laughs) So Abraham believes, Abram believes God, Genesis 15, 6. It's credited to him as righteous. That's the famous passage that's quoted. Now, if, if you forget everything, this is the section I want you to remember. And these are the words. So if you haven't been paying attention or talking to people next to you, pay attention now. Listen, I see all of you. Abram's faith is not blind. He is given visual signs. It's not a hunch. He knows what God has said. Faith is required. He is completely minding his own business and God has intervened in his life. Now, if you uh, are a brand new Christian and honestly, I've ca- I'm, I'm now counting, it's over 40 people in the last six weeks who have been led to Christ by people in our church. Okay, it's, it's crazy town right now. And essentially the testimonies are like this. I was minding my own business I wasn't really doing anything. Uh, And then a Christian came into my life and everything they said made sense to me, right? And so this is Abram. He has two parts of his faith. Faith is both trust and belief. And so this is what it means to have faith. You, You trust Jesus, you trust what God says is true and you believe, you don't have like, I have faith and then you just leave it ill defined and everyone goes, oh, you're so spiritual. No, no. There's something definitive about it. You, you believe in something in particular. And so Abram has believed God and is credited to him as righteousness. We'll come back to it. And now Genesis 15, 8, Abram says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? You want to ever ask God that? Basically, uh, God, uh, I'm not sure I believe you. <laughs> how will I know I'll gain possession of it? That's the land. 
Now, you may know that the Bible has two Testaments, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. That word Testament comes up twice in the, in the, in the Bible, in Galatians and Hebrews, and it's the word covenant. Word covenant. And that word covenant is, I would say, the controlling metaphor of the entire Bible. A covenant is just uh, an agreement that defines the terms of the relationship. So let's say, you know, simply you're dating someone and you need to, I remember when I was in college, it was the DTR talk that every guy hated, the define the relationship talk. And so, sorry guys, that the women have to pursue you to have that conversation. God has a convert, God makes covenant between man Humans make covenants between one another uh, in, in Scripture. And during the time Abraham's alive, Moses is alive, there is a structure to a covenant that is almost identical to the covenants of the Bible. Now, there are four major covenants that are about to happen here in Genesis 15. The first one is the... And if you, if you just have this, you, you've got the Bible, okay? Abraham covenant... Then you have a covenant with Moses, covenant with David, and the new covenant. You've got this family covenant. You've got this national covenant with Moses. You've got this dynastic covenant with David. There, that's the whole Bible put together for you. And the whole time, when you get to the new covenant, the New Testament, that's all about how does the Abrahamic covenant fit? How does the Mosaic covenant fit in Jesus? And how does the Davidic covenant fit in Jesus? And you just see it everywhere. So we come to Genesis 15. God is now going to make a covenant. And it's weird to our, I mean, if you heard the reading, if you're paying attention, you're like, wait, what's going on? So God uh, is now going to sign a contract. Here's the signing ceremony. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought these to him, cut them in two, arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. These birds, then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now, Cultures have different ways of ratifying contracts. We used to, you know, maybe 50 years ago, you buy a house, it's two pages long, right? You have your mortgage agreement signed, or you have handshake agreement. Now you have mortgage agreement, it's a one-hour uh, thing where you just sign your name, sign your name, sign your name, sign your name. What is this? Just sign your name. And if you start reading it, people are like, come on, we're going to be here all day. Sign your name. But what do you do when a culture can't write? This is not a, a, a written culture. Well, you bring, Abram brings five animals and he cuts them in half. Now, in some places I was thinking in the world, uh, in the United States, people would be like, wait, come again? He cut the animals in half. Here, you guys post pictures of cutting animals in half in your kitchen and you're like, celebrate with me. Just yesterday, I got a text message of like the innards of, a, of an animal saying, look what I got. And I was like, I don't know, pig? No, it was an elk. No problem. So what is Abram doing? He's slicing these animals in half. I'll show you. Jeremiah 34, it tells us what's going on. This is crazy. I just want you to get your minds around this. They have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made. This is Jeremiah, God speaking. I will treat like a calf they cut in two and then walked between the pieces. There it is. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walked between the pieces... Animals cut in two. I will deliver into the hands of their enemy and kill them. Their dead bodies will become food. Ooh, that's terrible, right? Covenant literally means to cut. And so Abram cuts the pieces in half. He knows what he's doing. And in doing that, he's signaling, I will 
take on the consequences of this covenant. But it's different. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness fell over him. So God says, don't be afraid. Thick and dreadful darkness. And then dark promises, your descendants will be slaves. So Abram falls asleep, his descendants are slaves, and then this crazy line in verse 17, this is the most beautiful line in the book of Genesis. I love it. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. That is a picture of the glory of God. And the scene now is God walking between the pieces. When covenants were made between equals, both people would walk through. You'd say, okay, uh, if I don't follow through, and maybe this is how we should do contracts now. Like, if you, if you don't uh, follow through and do this, then uh, the covenants of curses fall on you, you'll be like the animals. And if I don't do what I'm saying I'm gonna do, I, let me be like the animals and be destroyed. But God and Abram are not equals, right? And so when kings would make covenants with people, the king would not walk through. The people would walk through. So the king would say, I promise I'll do this. You have to do this. And then the people would walk through and say, may all the curses come down on us. But in this covenant, only one person walks through, God himself. And you look back, Abram's not walking through. Two things. Number one, God does not give Abram the option of how this covenant is going to work. He doesn't negotiate. He doesn't say, now your turn. Now you meet me halfway. We're going to go through this together. No. God is saying, if I break covenant with you, may I be like the pieces that we've just walked through. May my body be broken. May I be left out as a carcass and may I be destroyed. But it's not just that. Abram doesn't walk through. And so what God is saying is, Abram, if you break the covenant, I will take on the curses for you as well. And you know what? He did. Remember Paul's words in Corinthians, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. And so in Mark chapter 15, darkness comes over the whole land. Three hours later, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is that? That is all the curses of the covenant coming down on Jesus Christ because we didn't keep covenant with God. And he takes our place, the place that he promised to take all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. Jesus walks through the pieces for us. That's the story of the Bible. Who is this man? You know, Jesus is called son of Abraham. You may, you may know the story in John, John chapter eight. Jesus says to the Jewish leaders, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. I don't even know what that means. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. And God, Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to stone him, but Jesus himself slipped away and hid in the temple grounds. Jesus is not just saying, I, I'm, uh, 
I'm a son of Abraham, I'm the fulfillment, I'm the ultimate seed. He's saying, I stood before Abraham. I am the I am. I am the one who walked through the pieces in Genesis 15. And then he's about to do it just a few chapters later in the Gospel of John. All the nations will now be blessed. How? All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. How does the blessing go out? The gospel goes out everywhere. And we look to Abram because he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the gospel. That's the story. That's the promise. Maybe this week you should ask yourself, how can I know God? Honestly, some of you have really hard lives, impossible lives, very challenging lives. Some of you have lots and lots of questions. And when that doubt and questioning takes over your life or takes over even my life, what God would say to me is, Darren, I sent my son for you. God made him who was no sin to be sin for us so that we might become, here's Genesis 15, the righteousness of God. Credited. Not because we went through the pieces, but because he went through the pieces. And so we come in the new, new covenant now, and he gives us stars again. He gives us something we can see. And do you know what that is? The ritual? It's right here. This is what we see with our eyes. This is our visual reminder of what he has done. And so Jesus, like in all covenants, has a meal to seal it. I'm having a meal with you to have a relationship with you. And in Matthew, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he gave me thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant. Paul says, 1 Corinthians, new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We come now to the celebration of the new covenant. The visual reminder. These are stars. These are, these are the things that we see to remind us of the gospel, of what God has done. Let's pray as we come into a time of the Lord's Supper. Lord, your story to us is you have made a covenant where you have not only taken on the promises of curses on your side, but you have promised to take on the curse for us when we break covenant. And you have now called people from every nation, tribe, language, and people and blessed every nation with the gospel. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not yet know, may today be the day. And if anyone is, not, is just, who's a Christian, just is trying to earn God's, your love, God's love, may they give up and be loved. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, would you... Um, do something in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.